In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Tom Schaefer, Amphenol's business development director specializing in e-mobility and battery products for the transportation industry. Tom has been with Amphenol for almost four years after spending time as a submarine officer in the U.S. Navy. We talk about the EV market, including the interconnect product differences between EVs and gas-powered vehicles. We talk about his time in the ROTC program at MIT and discuss what it was like working and living on a submarine. We talk about how having to be a jack-of-all-trades on a sub has translated well to his work at Amphenol. And we talk about his Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. Tom, listen, thank you for doing this today. I appreciate you coming on uh, as part of the Interface podcast. Glad to have you as we wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the initiatives that you're into, especially with electric vehicles and the uh, and the transportation industry. So tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days as the business development director for EV throughout the corporation. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. So my role is fairly unique within Amphenol. Um, I have a colleague in Europe, uh, Gigi, who is doing something similar for his territory. Uh, but I work across a number of Amphenol divisions. Um, I work with our um, industrial group, our automotive group, as well as our advanced sensors team. And then I've recently taken on our um, bus bar teams um, as part of the Amphenol GIS power group. So what I do is I play a bit of matchmaker and I pay, play a little bit of um, strategic market director um, where I am looking for new opportunities and then sourcing those opportunities within Amphenol to the right group. As you can probably guess there's a lot of interconnect and sensor content on electric vehicles and on advanced lithium batteries. So there's more than enough to occupy um, the 22 or so divisions that I work with on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, my day to day is I um, interact with customers. I um, discuss projects and new opportunities. And then I work a lot with our, within Amphenol coordinating between our different manufacturing groups, um, or excuse me, our, our manufacturing um, sites, typically in low-cost centers in Asia and uh, Mexico, um, and coordinate them with um, the engineering teams there and our market management and engineering teams here in North America. So you touched on it a little bit about some of the divisions that you work with. Can you give more of a, a bit of a like an overall broad portfolio of the products that you're typically working with in this market yeah. space? Yeah. So two broad categories, I would say, um, well, three really. For Interconnect, um, I work primarily with high voltage and low voltage systems. Um, high voltage systems off of a um, automotive style battery are anywhere between 300 and 800 volts typically. Um, and those are our power carrying systems. So those will um, carry, carry motive power um, from the battery to uh, power, distri power distribution unit, which is uh, PDU in our um, acronym world. And um, those are big, heavy-duty connectors. So those are the ones that are the size of your arm, right. basically. And they power, um, they bring power from the battery out to the motors to move the vehicle. Um, on an EV, um, what's different between that and a traditional ICE engine or internal combustion engine is that there's no engine to turn things like an AC compressor or an alternator or anything like that. So all those systems need to come off of the high voltage battery pack and they need to be reduced from a, by a converter or inverter based on the application. So we call those auxiliary systems and they are 
typically a lot smaller, but still very specialized um, and are high voltage um, engineered products. We also do a lot of low voltage systems, um, which carry the signals and data communications uh, between the battery mm-hmm. and the different components on the vehicle. Um, that's much more similar to what you would see on a traditional um, car or um, industrial transportation application. Um, and then we have, of course, sensors. And sensors are vital in an EV as they are in in a combustion engine. They give us a lot of temperature feedback primarily. And then we also have a number of very specific products for the e-mobility industry um, that are very, very uh, advanced engineering products that um, share feedback for the different components to maximize efficiency and safety on these types of uh, new programs and new vehicles. How much of this did you know before you started in this in this particular field? Just out of curiosity. Um, yeah, I, I would say I had a surface level understanding. Yeah. Um, you know, like a lot of things in Amphenol, it's learn on the fly sure. type of thing. So just having engineering discussions really, um, really beefed up my understanding. But, you know, I, I came from an engineering background, from a material science and engineering background, as well as a nuke background. But this world of power electrical engineering um, was a bit foreign to me. So that was a pretty steep learning curve. But when it comes down to it, it's pretty simple relationships between um, the amount of current you can push through a system and then you have a we have a pretty clear split between high voltage and low voltage and uh, the engineering challenges between the two types there so i would say that i had a um, had an okay understanding from an outside perspective um but since then i've exponentially grown my (laughs) my knowledge of the market and the technical aspects of it as well yeah i think when most people hear electric vehicles they'll think of a car or something like a car but it's really broader than that, right? So can you describe not only what is in front of you, like just, you know, uh, 5,000 feet below us, but 50,000 feet, like what we're talking about when we're talking about electric vehicles and even in the near future, in the next few years, yeah. what the potential is? Yeah, I mean, it's an it's a incredibly broad category. My focus is on electric vehicle automotive as well as industrial applications. And then I go so far because battery is also included under my um, responsibilities. Um, I'll also do um, land-based ESS, which is energy storage systems. Um, Those would be big grid augmentation systems um, where you'd install it on a transformer field or at a power generation site for solar or wind. Basically, you store energy um, when there's a lot of available um, generating power. So Mm -hmm. if it's a windy day, store that energy. Use it when um, it's not quite as windy and you need some additional support on the grid there. Um, also includes kind of microgrid applications. So um, there's a few customers out there who make wall-mounted battery packs that would either replace or supplement a generator in the case of, that, of a power outage or um, serve some peak shaving purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but coming back to your question about um, what is an EV, I mean, this is, would be anything from a little um, scooter. So if uh, you travel in Southeast Asia, you see those little moped-type right. um things yep all over the place those are all being electrified i mean the difference between my first visit to china in 2017 versus my last trip to china in 2019 was incredible how many more um electrified scooters there were versus um you know just in that three-year span so yeah that's that's probably the largest market in terms of volume but um, of course, we have automotive, um, you have bus and truck and heavy on-highway vehicle, mm-hmm. and then we have all of the off-highway vehicles. So 
that would be anything from the um, ATV, UTV type of thing that you would buy. And, you know, it would be like a snowmobile or your, um, your kind of uh, uh, little four-wheeler that you would take out in the backyard, um, all the way up to heavy equipment, um, big mining trucks, big, um, you know, really big pieces of yellow equipment that drive around and then will get charged up at the job site later that day. So really broad spans of um, types of things that are being electrified that we would call an electric vehicle. Um, yeah, just uh, it, the applications are enormous and continue to grow um, as battery prices drop and these things become more and more economical. Do you also dabble in the like EV tall or urban air mobility, or is that more in the military and aerospace side? Yeah, I, I support it because um, from a battery power perspective, we have right. a lot more experience in the uh, in the industrial and automotive oh, sure. side. Sure. So they lean on us for support. Um, a lot of the EV tall things are pretty low altitude, so we can actually use a lot of our products, a lot of the um, industrial and automotive products on those systems. Uh, but at their heart, they are a, um, a Comair product. So it, it's a very different industry. The volumes are very, very different. And uh, their requirements and their um, their certifications they need are quite different from the automotive industry, from the industrial industry. How would you describe, I guess, the difference between uh, a standard product, standard product offerings for internal combustion engine vehicles versus electric vehicles? What are the differences between those? Like, what would you find in the EV world that you wouldn't necessarily find in the, uh, you know, the tried and true, you know, gas powered or, you know, fossil fuel powered vehicles? So what I would say is there's a lot more opportunity because by their nature, there's a lot more interconnect and value add opportunities there for Amphenol. It's, it's generally simpler, to be honest. They're much more mechanically simplified than an engine that has you know, 20,000 moving parts. EVs usually have two to four mm-hmm. in the drivetrain moving parts, depending on how many motors um, and where the motors are positioned. So in terms of um, interconnect, larger, higher value interconnect, I mean, the, the high power, high voltage systems are basically a direct replacement for the engine. So from a connection perspective, it's all additional product Mm -hmm. because then you have your traditional 12 volt or, you know, whatever the 24 volt, 48 volt, depending on the architecture, you have all of the traditional systems still in place. So for lighting, for infotainment, for um, ADAS um, on the new vehicles, those are not high voltage systems. Those are low voltage systems. Mm -hmm. So all of those continue to exist on an electric vehicle. You just have this huge battery pack and then all of the connections and transmission capabilities that you need for that pack. From a sensor's perspective, it's a little bit different because um, engines have a pretty heavy sensor load um, for gas and particulate and air quality sensing. So those are all basically replaced by thermal monitoring and um, other battery-specific products that are in the battery and in the converter equipment and then the coolant systems. Um, but then you still have all the same HVAC um, uh-huh. sensing, all the in-cabin sensors are all the same. So um, in general, EVs represent a step increase in um, amphenol content on a per-vehicle basis. Uh, and that's whether it's a car or whether it's a truck or a you know, big excavator or anything like that. That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we that's like why it. you're doing it's what you're doing. In- yeah. It's a good industry. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, uh, talking to others. I mean, we're really at the you know the tip of the iceberg right now for 
uh, yeah. the true potential for this over the next three years, five years, 10 years, 25 years. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Kagers are all in the, I mean, they're well in the double digits, depending on the specific industry you're looking at. It's anywhere between 25 and 55% uh, projected growth over the next five years. And, yeah. you know, who knows that could be conservative. It's um, it's all a matter of cost and economics and, driving down the price of lithium batteries and seeing what the next new technology is because there's a lot in the works that can help reduce the material costs um, for these types of vehicles. You know, talking to, I was telling you earlier, I was talking to Brian Engel, who I know that you work Mm -hmm. with as well, and talking to him about this where you're in in an industry right now, a particular market segment that is so unique. It's almost a once in a generation opportunity where you get to be in right at the as this thing is starting to really take off, um, I use the word explode with him, and he says it's probably not the best word to use, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but as you don't get these chances very much in the business development community, some oftentimes it's just you're you're improving something that's existing, right, or or yeah. modifying, you know, or upgrading or whatever it may be. This is yeah. you're on the ground floor of something that is going to define potentially the next century of, of transportation throughout the world. Do you ever think about that? And does it make you, does it get you excited in a way? Well, it does. And I, I think a really interesting part of it is that when we work with our customers um, who are typically at the OEM level, it's kind of a shared learning experience as we go through these product developments. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, of course, the engineers that we work with are very talented and excellent at what they do. But a lot of the times they might not have worked with this type of high power application and might not understand the really the the breadth and the extent that their requirements are asking from a connector system. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's really interesting. There's so much rapid growth and change. Um, you know, I've been spoiled. I've been with Amphenol for three years now, almost three years I started with EV charging and now I'm in EV on the vehicle side and it's um, I don't know anything else. (laughs) So, you know, I, I see how these programs develop and manage and I routinely hear like, wow, like we've never seen anything like this before. This is moving so fast. And I'm like, well, for me, it seems normal, but this is all I've done. So um, it's hard to, it's hard to comment, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely exciting. It's um, it's very, very busy. Everyone's um, pushing to get their electrified portfolio beefed up and produced, and we're seeing all of these um, all these production times and deadlines for us keep moving left. So it's um, it's fast, it's exciting, um, it's a lot of work, but we have a great support team with all the Amphenol divisions that that support the EV industry to really drive that through and and win some successes um, for Amphenol and for our customers as well. Yeah, it's very exciting and uh, definitely something to to keep an eye on. So I'm sure this isn't the last time we'll be talking about this. That's for sure. Um, you know, whether it's with you or any of the other contemporaries that that you work with often. So so let me let me go back now. Let me go back to a young Tom Tom Schaefer growing up in Massachusetts. Uh, you went yep. to MIT at, at a high school, right? Um, started playing football, but then what happened? Yeah. So I uh, <laughs> yeah I, I was playing football at the, uh, the esteemed MIT uh, football program there. Uh, what are the NFL alumni that from, from uh, MIT? Yeah, exactly, are there any? Exactly. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> we don't see a lot of draft picks coming out of uh, MIT, but um, 
to that point, <laughs> I, I blew up my knee yeah. when I was a freshman and, uh, you know, got a year off. I was in ROTC at the time. I was in Naval ROTC and um, they were kind enough to give me one year leeway and then said, well, Tom, you know, we kind of suggest that you stop playing football because if you hurt yourself again and can't complete another fitness assessment, then you're you're not going to retain your scholarship there. So I said, oh, all right, that's pretty uh, pretty easy decision. So unfortunately, I had to stop playing football, but uh, I was able to continue my ROTC career there and um, and finish up. So um, I went to the Navy after that. But uh, MIT, hard experience, but, but very good. Um, taught me a lot uh, about work ethic and yeah. uh, growing up. <laughs> you know, quite rapidly. Knowing just a little bit about MIT and knowing how difficult it is, um, you know, as, as far as uh, academic excellence, it's I'm sure well known as as being a, a very tough school academically. And then you add on to that being part of the ROTC program. You certainly didn't make it easy on yourself, did you? <laughs> no, no, it was a <laughs> I mean big time commitments, but it, you know the the. ROTC guys at MIT are they're they're good good bunch of people and they understand the types of academic pressure that we're on. So, yeah, I, I would say that we have a, we have a solid program there. We come out with a lot of uh, good strong commissioned officers, but yeah, there's there's some flexibility at MIT with the ROTC programs that yeah. may or may not exist at other schools. <laughs> so you then uh, went in a, as a commissioned officer and you were in the submarine world. Um, was. I was in the surface world. We were talking about it before we started recording. You were in the submarine world. I don't think there's very many people at Amphenol that know what that's like. So can you describe what it's like to live and work on a submarine? It's a very unique situation where not only are you living in the confines of a submarine, which is very tight, um, you know, the overall length of the Virginia class I was on is 377 feet, but realistically you're confined to about mm, living quarters, um, accessible space outside the engine rooms, probably about a hundred feet. Mm. So it's just a small space to be stuck in. Um, and then you're also stuck with the same 130 or so plus or minus 10 based on the loadout uh, people um, that you can't get away from if you would like to. So it's a, it's a unique um, opportunity to grow as a person and learn to accommodate some uh, some issues that you might not necessarily put up with if you had the opportunity to walk away. So um, <laughs> challenging, but also you're working. I mean, you know, I, I kind of half jest about that. It's a you're working with really the the cream of the crop with um, mm -hmm. with the submarine force. Um, everyone is very very you know handpicked and selected to serve on a submarine. Um, as an officer, I was at Nuke. So everyone working in the engine room is a um, very, very smart, very motivated individual. And, um, you know, the, moving forward in the boat as your career progresses um, as officers, um, we transition from a very engineering focused career towards a tactical, uh, more ship driving career where you're actually exercising some uh, command and control and uh, command authority. And that's really what I enjoyed. I enjoyed um, driving the ship, making tactical and strategic decisions for what we were doing. I was a fast tech guy, so um, you know I can't I can't speak to the boomer experience of driving circles to nowhere in the middle of the ocean. But um, as a fast tech sailor, um, I got to actually go out and do missions yeah. and, uh, and see some really cool places that I can't ever talk about. But um, <laughs> we got to see some cool things, um, do some cool things 
really, really rewarding period of my life. And uh, I'm really glad that I did that. Um, served those three years aboard the New Mexico um, out of Groton, Connecticut. So pretty close to headquarters too. Um, and oddly enough, the first time I heard about Amphenol, we would actually call any type of reverse bayonet or bayonet style connection yeah. on the ship. We would call those Amphenols, just huh. you know, like you call a tissue a Kleenex. Yeah. That's the Amphenol and you would plug it in. Um, that's That was my first introduction to the company. We talked about this too. You know, you talked about, or I talked about being on a surface ship and you just have a specific job, right? Um, I was in the public affairs world. So that's mainly what I did. I helped out a little bit with intelligence and a little bit with operations, but I was mainly just public affairs. And then you have people that are just engineers and people that are just firefighters. That's not the case on a submarine. Everyone has to be kind of a jack of all trades, especially with a small crew like that. Uh, how much do you think that helped you in, into learning even things that you're doing at Amphenol now? I mean, it's, you're exactly right. You need a very diverse set of um, skills and knowledge base on the submarine. And, you know, our qualification badge is, uh, is the um, submarine dolphins. And to earn those, you need to demonstrate proficiency in all aspects of the ship, including, uh, you know, damage control, firefighting, as well as tactical operations and uh, engineering um, related responsibilities. So it's a, um, you're right. It's a very, wide breadth of information and knowledge that you're required to have. And it makes you learn how to, um, how to be a general expert on everything. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you're probably not going to be able to go into the engine room and by memory run through a uh, complete port side engine shutdown and know exactly which valves you need to turn where they are as an officer directing people to do that. But what you do know is you understand the implications of everything that they're doing back there mm -hmm. and how that's affecting the performance of the overall ship and what sort of constraints they're currently in and what that's going to place you in in the future. And then you already alluded to it. That's translated really well uh, to my career. You know, I went to business school where as an engineer by training, I didn't have any of this general knowledge on marketing and on uh, finance and all these other, um, you know, business strategy elements that for a lot of people who have a business, um, business formal education, it's second nature to them. And right. it's like, whatever, but, you know, coming from that engineering background, um, not that it was excessively complicated, but it was just a lot of very different types of information all coming to you at once. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. you know, having that background of being able to, you know, internalize all that and understand a lot of different um, seemingly, seemingly unrelated things happening at once and putting them together for a broader picture of how, you know, the thing works as a system, I think was very helpful. And that's, I think, very applicable as well to my industry that I work in now. And then picking up this role within Amphenol, where Amphenol is a very, very flat organization. Yeah. Um, and we have, you know, 120 something different divisions all working together towards the same common goal, but not necessarily interacting with each other on a daily basis. My position is unique where I see that. So it's actually very similar to, you know, being in the Navy in, in an officer position where you're seeing all these, you know, separate, disparate groups working towards a common objective. And then it's your job to figure out how to get there as yeah. a team and how to get there in a, you know, instead of you've got 10 teams working on it. So we should have an outcome of 10. Say, oh, we have 10 teams working on it. Let's have an outcome of 20. Right. Let's have some synergy between all 10 of them and, and figure this out together. So, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of parallels, a lot of, um, uh, experiences to build on for sure. How did you find Amphenol or did they find you? <laughs> they found me. Um, our lovely corporate recruiter, 
um, Klaus yeah. reached out to me and um, I met him uh, while I was at business school my first year. Um, he ran through the MBA program, kind of the business development manager track and pipeline up through general manager. Um, I found it very appealing. I was very interested and um, I still am very interested in general management um, and the opportunities that Amphenol presents as such a flat company um, where through either acquisition or retirement or other, um, there's a lot of opportunities to run a P&L very early in your career. So that really appealed to me. Um, I like leading teams. I like working on technical projects. So the whole thing, Amphenol just kind of um, it was a very good fit from the get-go. So I interned uh, for my summer with um, Amphenol PCD up in mm-hmm. Beverly, Massachusetts. Sure. Yeah. Um, I worked on a couple commercial aviation projects. Um, one was on infotainment, which was interesting. It was more of a market study. Uh, the other one was a supply chain project, um, figuring out sourcing opportunities uh, from low-cost centers around Asia. And um Got to do a lot of travel. It was a nice taste into the um, Amphenol lifestyle of uh, international travel all the time. Uh, over my <laughs> eight, I forget if it was eight weeks or 10 weeks, but over my essentially two month internship, I flew to China, um, to Vietnam and to New Zealand and back to Boston. So it was uh, it was a busy eight weeks. Uh, it was pretty cool. I don't think anyone else had, uh, anyone else at Kellogg got the chance to uh, actually <laughs> travel like I did. Have you enjoyed it? Have you embraced the Amphenol culture so far that's radically different from the Navy, for sure? I mean, mm-hmm. I can speak to this as well, coming out of the Navy and, and immediately starting to work for Amphenol. It was a little, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, you were institutionalized to a certain extent. And all of a sudden, you get into a place like this that's incredibly successful, this corporation, and it's basically, here, just do it. Just figure it out yeah. and do it. And yeah, it's very, exactly. it's it's a little daunting at first, but then I think you and I are probably alike. It's like, oh, oh, I like this. Then then I'm just yeah. going to do it, and you just take off and go. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming you like that too. I, I do, I do. With Amphenol, it is a 100% switch. It's a so first off, operationally, I don't think that. I know anyone who has as vague of a job description as I do, or as nebulous of a market um, as I do. Yeah, I'm close. I'm close. (laughs) Some of my some of my bosses sometimes um, ask me about things and ask me if I if I do or do not cover them. And uh, sometimes I don't know. I just pick up (laughs) things kind of as I go. But um, in any case, uh, it's uh, all of a sudden you're going from a very clear chain of command to yeah, we have a chain of command here in Amphenol, but you're really doing it yourself. You're making decisions right. for the business on your own from the beginning. And there's not a lot of instruction. Feel free to ask for help, mm-hmm. get some direction, but no one's going to be kind of walking you through. It's not, you know, the MBA program is small within the Amphenol, but it is not structured like any of our competitors um, right. who, who recruit similar people for these GM programs. It's not rotational. There's no set, you know, performance criteria you need to meet. Um, which is daunting. It's it is challenging. Mm-hmm. It's not a um, it's not an easy thing, and it's um, it's also not for a lot of people. But I really enjoy it. Really helped grow my sense of uh, self motivation and self drive. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, things are so flexible that you know I can make decisions that a lot of my friends and colleagues who have a similar background just can't do. And um, you know, I'm I'm grateful for Amphenol for being that flexible and for having the structure that we do 
um, and I support it. And I think it's um, it's a really great thing, you know. And then speaking about advancement opportunities, um, you know, in my role, I was able to finish my initial call it a project. But when I was first brought on as a um, electric vehicle charging BDM, um, I was able to essentially complete that several months before um, the timing I was given to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, then um, Martin Booker said, okay, well, why don't we try you in this role in electric vehicle BDM um, for North America? I said, great, let's try that. So um, two years into that, I think my performance has been um, good, uh, good enough to get me into business development director mm-hmm. for this uh, same role. So uh, similar responsibilities, um, but, you know, better title, which is great. <laughs> but I think more than anything, it just reflects that uh, Amphenol rewards people for doing a good job and for showing that motivation to uh, excel in their in their, in their their role and, and continue to grow personally and professionally. So yeah. I think it's, um, it's a really good thing. It's a, for me, it's a great fit. Um, it's difficult for some people and it's, it is definitely, it is challenging. <laughs> it is oftentimes challenging. No, I agree with basically everything you just said and yeah. echo the same senti- sentiments. So uh, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Well, let, let, we'll get off of work now as we start to get towards the end here. When you're not working then, what do you like to do? I know you said you have a young family. Um, does that take yeah. up most of your time when you're not working then? Or is there yeah. anything else you like to do? Yeah, I've got a, uh, I've got an 18 month old daughter um, and another daughter due in October. So um, growing family, but I live up in um, Avon, Colorado, which is about two hours west of Denver. It is um, in the heart of ski country. I live across the valley from Beaver Creek and 15 minutes uh, down 70 from Vail. Mm-hmm. So in the winter, on the weekends, my wife and I tend to switch off. Um, one of us <laughs> take the kids for the morning yeah. and then go meet the other at skier drop and um, switch cars. And then the other person will go out and uh, ski for the afternoon. So a lot of yeah. skiing, a lot of, uh, a lot of hiking in the summer some whitewater rafting in the mix and um, yeah, just good um, Colorado outdoor activities. We'll wrap up this way then. I don't know if you've heard any of the episodes, but I'll, I put you in a situation here when you'll feel for Tom Schaefer, put you in a desert Island by yourself. We'll say you got there via submarine just because right. They, they opened up the hatch. They dropped you off. You're by yourself. Okay. You're hanging out. You're lounging. I give you the choice of one album, one book, and one movie. We'll start with an album. What album would you pick? Ooh, that's challenging. Just one, huh? Not a mixtape, just an album, one artist. I'll settle for an artist, but see, I'm an album guy. I love albums, so I figured I'll start. I'll try with an album. But if it's just an artist, I understand. It's kind of a dated question, you know? You don't buy albums anymore. You buy the songs. You stream the songs. See, you're younger than me. So. I know, I know. Um, I really like, and this is gonna, this is gonna date me. To like, I feel like people in seventh grade in Massachusetts all probably have a similar one, but uh, probably um, Dr. Dre's two thousand one. Okay. If I had to pick one, yeah, it's got some diversity in there. It's yep. got some, uh, it's got some uh, some different different styles mixed into that album and it's one of the classics so um so yeah believe it or not you were not the first to pick that on this really? podcast yes really and it, was an, it was another and Braden ishog i don't know if you know Braden. oh i know Braden. yeah yep yeah, yeah. he picked the right, same exact right. one yeah okay all right cool so nice. how about a book oh book and don't tell me the blue jackets manual please no it's not the blue jackets manual. i never read that <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> For those who don't know, it's kind of like the Navy Bible that no one but hardcore sailors read. <laughs> yeah. And I should have came prepared. I, I didn't even think of these. I'm trying to think of books that I've reread. I have just drawn a huge blank. I like the classics. I like Hemingway. Um, oh, me too. Farewell to Arms, maybe? I'm not sure. I, that one's hard. I don't think you can include that one. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, it's okay. I just, yeah. 1776 is good. That's a that's just nonfiction, though. It's just interesting. Yeah. Trying to think. Ah, I got one. All right. Yeah. This is a good one. Um, Cod. Cod? Cod. The book is called Cod. The author has a series of books. Um, I think he's got Salt. Salt was another good one. Um, Cod was my favorite from the series. It's like a 200-page um, quick read about the history of Cod and its influence on um, on uh, global trade, global history, mm. um, the discovery of America, the formation of Portugal as a world power, all this stuff. It's uh, it's dry humor. It's well written. It's super boring content, but it's just so engaging. It's the way this guy writes about COD is um, is fascinating. It, it, maybe not the best book to pick, but uh, it's <laughs> it's on the top of my head right now. That I I think I've heard of Salt. I think I've heard yeah. of that book. That would Salt be intriguing. Is a bit longer. Yeah. It's a bit longer. It's a bit drier. Um, it's a good pun. But, um, that. but yes. Yeah. Cod, I think, is better, though. I would yeah. go for cod if you're going to get into the world of that. I think he also does one on milk, uh, a few other <laughs> a few other commodities. <laughs> All right. And then finally, movie. And please don't say Goodwill Hunting, right? Because that's Not an MIT grant. Yeah. I have a handful of that. If I see them on, I'll just, um, I, I can't not watch them. Yeah. Um, like Shawshank or something. Yeah, more like Top Gun or. Oh yeah, yeah. Hunt for Red October. You know, those are those are the classics. I just watched Under Under Siege last night. Saw that came on Netflix recently, so that's a good one. I'd say maybe Jaws. Actually, how about Jaws? Jaws is a good one. That's all time classic. Love it's, it. You know, yeah, that's yeah. a great yeah. one. Yeah. Okay, but I did not mean to to really get you thrown for this with these three questions here but you know i just i i haven't i've been asked this like you know three facts of you question and so on i'm out of practice well that's why i like it you get some you get people that all of a sudden are out of their comfort zone going boy i don't know what would i like so yeah and i mean now and I have something new to talk about absolutely yeah i would definitely yeah. hit them up and you know maybe you guys in some you know engineering technical interchange meeting can do like a you know yeah. do some freestyle yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom, listen, thank you very much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Chris.